Section 6 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838 to 1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838 to 1839. By Francis Ann Kimball. Section 6. In the North, we could not hope to keep the worst and poorest servant for a single day in the wretched discomfort in which our Negro servants are forced habitually to live. I received a visit this morning from some of the Darien people. Among them was a most interesting young person, from whose acquaintance, if I have any opportunity of cultivating it, I promise myself much pleasure. The ladies that I have seen since I crossed the southern line have all seemed to me extremely sickly in their appearance, delicate in the refined term, but unfortunately sickly in the truer one. They are languid in their deportment and speech, and seem to give themselves up, without an effort to counteract it, to the enervating effect of their warm climate. It is undoubtedly a most relaxing and unhealthy one, and therefore requires the more imperatively to be met by energetic and invigorating habits both of body and mind. Of these, however, the southern ladies appear to have at present no very positive idea. Dr. Blank told us today of a comical application which his negro man had made to him for the coat he was then wearing. I forget whether the fellow wanted the loan or the absolute gift of it, but his argument was, it might have been an Irishman's, that he knew his master intended to give it to him by and by, and that he thought he might as well let him have it at once as keep him waiting any longer for it. This story the doctor related with great glee, and it furnishes a very good sample of what the southerners are fond of exhibiting, the degree of license to which they capriciously permit their favorite slaves occasionally to carry their familiarity. They seem to consider it as an undeniable proof of the general kindness with which their dependents are treated. It is as good a proof of it as the maudlin tenderness of a fine lady to her lapdog is of her humane treatment of animals in general. Servants whose claims to respect are properly understood by themselves and their employers are not made pets, playthings, jesters, or companions of and it is only the degradation of the many that admits of this favoritism to the few, a system of favoritism which, as it is perfectly consistent with the profoundest contempt and injustice, degrades the object of it quite as much, though it oppresses him less than the cruelty practiced upon his fellows. I had several of these favorite slaves presented to me, and one or two little negro children, who their owners assured me were quite pets. The only real service which this arbitrary goodwill did to the objects of it was quite involuntary and unconscious on the part of their kind masters. I mean the inevitable improvement in intelligence which resulted to them from being more constantly admitted to the intercourse of the favored white race. I must not forget to tell you of a magnificent bald-headed eagle which Mr. Blank called me to look at early this morning. I had never before seen alive one of these national types of yours, and stood entranced as the noble creature swept, like a black cloud, over the river, 
his bald white head bent forward and shining in the sun, and his fierce eyes and beak directed towards one of the beautiful wild ducks on the water, which he had evidently marked for his prey. The poor little duck, who was not ambitious of such a glorification, dived, and the eagle hovered above the spot. After a short interval, its victim rose to the surface several yards nearer shore. The great king of birds stooped nearer, and again the watery shield was interposed. This went on until the poor waterfowl, driven by excess of fear into unwonted boldness, rose, after repeatedly diving, within a short distance of where we stood. The eagle, who, I presume, had read how we were to have dominion over the fowls of the air, bald-headed eagles included, hovered sulkily a while over the river, and then sailing slowly towards the woods on the opposite shore, alighted and furled his great wings on a huge cypress limb that stretched itself out against the blue sky, like the arm of a giant, for the giant bird to perch upon. I am amusing myself by attempting to beautify, in some sort, this residence of ours. Immediately at the back of it runs a ditch, about three feet wide, which empties and fills twice a day with the tide. This lies like a moat on two sides of the house. The opposite bank is a steep dike with a footpath along the top. One or two willows droop over this very interesting ditch, and I thought I would add to their company some magnolias and myrtles, and so make a little evergreen plantation round the house. I went to the swamp reserves I have before mentioned to you, and chose some beautiful bushes, among others a very fine young pine, at which our overseer, and all the negroes, expressed much contemptuous surprise. For though the tree is beautiful, it is also common, and with them, as with wiser folk, tis nothing pleases but rare accidents. In spite of their disparaging remarks, however, I persisted in having my pine tree planted, and I assure you it formed a very pleasing variety among the broad, smooth-leaved evergreens about it. While forming my plantation, I had a bran thrown into a bed of tall yellow sedges which screened the brimming waters of the noble river from our parlour window, and which I therefore wished removed. The small sample of a southern conflagration which ensued was very picturesque the flames devouring the light growth, absolutely licking it off the ground, while the curling smoke drew off in misty wreaths across the river. The heat was intense, and I thought how exceedingly and unpleasantly warm one must feel in the midst of such a forest burning as Cooper describes. Having worked my appointed task in the garden, I rode over to Darien and back, the rosy sunset changing meantime to starry evening as beautiful as the first the sky ever was arrayed in. I saw an advertisement this morning in the paper which occasioned me much thought. Mr. Blank Blank and Mr. Blank, two planters of this neighborhood, have contracted to dig a canal called the Brunswick Canal, and not having hands enough for the work, advertise at the same time for Negroes on hires and for Irish laborers. Now, the Irishmen are to have twenty dollars a month wages, and to be found, to use the technical phrase, which finding means abundant food, and the best accommodations which can be procured for them. 
the negroes are hired from their masters who will be paid of course as high a price as they can obtain for them probably a very high one as the demand for them is urgent they in the meantime receiving no wages and nothing more than the miserable negro fare of rice and corn grits of course the irishmen and these slaves are not allowed to work together but are kept at separate stations on the canal this is every way politic for the low irish seem to have the same sort of hatred of negroes which sects differing but little in their tenets have for each other the fact is that a condition in their own country nearly similar has made the poor irish almost as degraded a class of beings as the negroes are here and their insolence towards them and hatred of them are precisely in proportion to the resemblance between them this hiring out of negroes is a horrid aggravation of the miseries of their condition for if on the plantations and under the masters to whom they belong their labor is severe and their food inadequate think what it must be when they are hired out for a stipulated sum to a temporary employer who has not even the interest which it is pretended an owner may feel in the welfare of his slaves but whose chief aim it must necessarily be to get as much out of them and expend as little on them as possible ponder this new form of iniquity and believe me ever your most sincerely attached dearest e after finishing my last letter to you i went out into the clear starlight to breathe the delicious mildness of the air and was surprised to hear rising from one of the houses of the settlement a hymn sung apparently by a number of voices the next morning I inquired the meaning of this, and was informed that those negroes on the plantation who were members of the church were holding a prayer meeting. There is an immensely strong devotional feeling among these poor people. The worst of it is that it is zeal without understanding, and profits them but little. Yet light is light, even that poor portion that may stream through a keyhole, and I welcome this most ignorant profession of religion in Mr. Blank's dependence, as the herald of better and brighter things for them. Some of the planters are entirely inimical to any such proceedings, and neither allow their negroes to attend worship, or to congregate together for religious purposes, and truly I think they are wise in their own generation. On other plantations, again, the same rigid discipline is not observed, and some planters and overseers go even farther than toleration and encourage these devotional exercises and professions of religion having actually discovered that a man may become more faithful and trustworthy even as a slave who acknowledges the higher influences of christianity no matter in how small a degree slaveholding clergymen and certain piously inclined planters undertake accordingly to enlighten these poor creatures upon these matters with a safe understanding however of what truth is to be given to them and what is not how much they may learn to become better slaves and how much they may not learn lest they cease to be slaves at all the process is a very ticklish one and but for the northern public opinion which is now pressing the slaveholders close i dare say would not be attempted at all as it is they are putting their own throats and their own souls in jeopardy by this very endeavor to serve god and mammon the light that they are letting in between their fingers will presently strike them blind and the mighty flood of truth which they are straining through a sieve to the thirsty lips of their slaves sweep them away like straws from their cautious moorings 
and overwhelm them in its great deeps to the waters of which man may in no wise say thus far shall ye come and no farther the community i now speak of the white population of darien should be a religious one to judge by the number of churches it maintains however we know the old proverb and at that rate it may not be so godly after all mr blank and his brother have been called upon at various times to subscribe to them all and i saw this morning a most fervent appeal extremely ill spelled from a gentleman living in the neighborhood of the town and whose slaves are notoriously ill-treated reminding mr blank of the precious souls of his human cattle and requesting a further donation for the baptist church of which most of the people here are members now this man is known to be a hard master his negro houses are sheds not fit to stable beasts in his slaves are ragged half naked and miserable yet he is urgent for their religious comforts and writes to mr blank about their souls their precious souls he was over here a few days ago and pressed me very much to attend his church i told him i would not go to a church where the people who worked for us were parted off from us as if they had the pest and we should catch it of them i asked him for i was curious to know how they managed to administer the sacrament to a mixed congregation he replied oh very easily that the white portion of the assembly received it first and the blacks afterwards a new commandment i give unto you that ye love one another even as i have loved you oh what a shocking mockery however they show their faith at all events in the declaration that god is no respecter of persons since they do not pretend to exclude from his table those whom they most certainly would not admit to their own i have as usual allowed this letter to lie by dear e not in the hope of the occurrence of any event for that is hopeless but until my daily avocations allowed me leisure to resume it and afforded me at the same time matter wherewith to do so i really never was so busy in all my life as i am here i sit at the receipt of custom involuntarily enough from morning till night no time no place affords me a respite from my innumerable petitioners and whether i be asleep or awake reading eating or walking in the kitchen my bedroom or the parlor they flock in with urgent entreaties and pitiful stories and my conscience forbids my ever postponing their business for any other matter for with shame and grief of heart i say it by their unpaid labor i live their nakedness clothes me and their heavy toil maintains me in luxurious idleness surely the least i can do is to hear these my most injured benefactors and indeed so intense in me is the sense of the injury they receive from me and mine that i should scarce dare refuse them the very clothes from my back or food from my plate if they asked me for it in taking my daily walk round the banks yesterday i found that i was walking over violet roots the season is too little advanced for them to be in bloom and i could not find out whether they were the fragrant violet or not mr blank has been much gratified to-day by the arrival of mr k who with his father for nineteen years was the sole manager of these estates and discharged his laborious task with great ability and fidelity towards his employers 
how far he understood his duties to the slaves or whether indeed an overseer can in the nature of things acknowledge any duty to them is another question he is a remarkable man and is much respected for his integrity and honorable dealing by everybody here his activity and energy are wonderful and the mere fact of his having charge of for nineteen years and personally governing without any assistance whatever seven hundred people scattered over three large tracts of land at a considerable distance from each other certainly bespeaks sufficiency and energy of a very uncommon order the character i had heard of him from mr had excited a great deal of interest in me and i was very glad of this opportunity of seeing a man who for so many years had been sovereign over the poor people here i met him walking on the banks with mr as i returned from my own ramble during which nothing occurred or appeared to interest me except by the by my unexpectedly coming quite close to one of those magnificent scarlet birds which abound here and which dart across your path like a winged flame nothing can surpass the beauty of their plumage and their voice is excellently melodious they are lovely my companions when i do not request the attendance of my friend jack are a couple of little terriers who are endowed to perfection with the ugliness and the intelligence of their race they are of infinite service on the plantation as owing to the immense quantity of grain and chaff and such matters rats and mice abound in the mills and storehouses i crossed the threshing floor to-day a very large square perfectly level raised by artificial means about half a foot from the ground and covered equally all over so as to lie quite smooth with some preparation of tar it lies immediately between the house and the steam mill and on it much of the negroes work is done the first threshing is given to the rice and other labors are carried on as i walked across it to-day passing through the busy groups chiefly of women that covered it i came opposite to one of the drivers who held in his hand his whip the odious insignia of his office i took it from him it was a short stick of moderate size with a thick square leather thong attached to it as i held it in my hand i did not utter a word but i conclude as is often the case my face spoke what my tongue did not for the driver said oh missus me use it for measure me seldom strike nigger would it for one moment i thought i must carry the hateful implement into the house with me an instant's reflection however served to show me how useless such a proceeding would be the people are not mine nor their drivers nor their whips i should but have impeded for a few hours the man's customary office and a new scourge would have been easily provided and i should have done nothing perhaps worse than nothing after dinner i had a most interesting conversation with mr among other subjects he gave me a lively and curious description of the yeomanry of georgia more properly termed pine landers have you visions now of well-to-do farmers with comfortable homesteads decent habits industrious intelligent cheerful and thrifty such however is not the yeomanry of georgia labor being here the especial portion of slaves it is thenceforth degraded and considered unworthy of all but slaves no white man therefore of any class 
puts hand to work of any kind soever. This is an exceedingly dignified way of proving their gentility, for the lazy planters who prefer an idle life of semi-starvation and barbarism to the degradation of doing anything themselves. But the effect on the poorer whites of the country is terrible. I speak now of the scattered white population who, too poor to possess land or slaves, and having no means of living in the towns, squat, most appropriately is it so termed, either on other men's land or government districts, always here swamp or pine barren, and claim masterdom over the place they invade, till ejected by the rightful proprietors. These wretched creatures will not, for they are whites, and labor belongs to blacks and slaves alone here, labor for their own subsistence. They are hardly protected from the weather by the rude shelters they frame for themselves in the midst of these dreary woods. Their food is chiefly supplied by shooting the wild fowl and venison, and stealing from the cultivated patches of the plantations nearest at hand. Their clothes hang about them in filthy tatters, and the combined squalor and fierceness of their appearance is really frightful. This population is the direct growth of slavery. The planters are loud in their execrations of these miserable vagabonds. Yet they do not see that, so long as labor is considered the disgraceful portion of slaves, these free men will hold it nobler to starve or steal than till the earth with none but the despised blacks for fellow laborers. The blacks themselves, such is the infinite power of custom, acquiesce in this notion, and, as I have told you, consider it the lowest degradation in a white to use any exertion. I wonder, considering the burthens they have seen me lift, the digging, the planting, the rowing, and the walking I do, that they do not utterly condemn me, and indeed they seem lost in amazement at it. Talking of these pine-landers, gypsies, without any of the romantic associations that belong to the latter people, led us to the origin of such a population, slavery. And you may be sure I listened with infinite interest to the opinions of a man of uncommon shrewdness and sagacity who was born in the very bosom of it and has passed his whole life among slaves. If any one is competent to judge of its effects, such a man is the one, and this was his verdict. I hate slavery with all my heart. I consider it an absolute curse wherever it exists. It will keep those states where it does exist fifty years behind the others in improvement and prosperity. Further on in the conversation, he made this most remarkable observation. As for its being an irremediable evil, a thing not to be helped or got rid of, that's all nonsense. For as soon as people become convinced that it is their interest to get rid of it, they will soon find the means to do so, depend on it. And undoubtedly this is true. This is not an age, nor yours a country, where a large mass of people will long endure what they perceive to be injurious to their fortunes and advancement. Blind as people often are to their highest and truest interests, your country folk have generally shown remarkable acuteness in finding out where their worldly progress suffered let or hindrance, and have removed it with laudable alacrity. Now, the fact is, not at all as we at the North are sometimes told, that the southern slaveholders deprecate the evils of slavery quite as much as we do, that they see all its miseries, 
that moreover they are most anxious to get rid of the whole thing but want the means to do so and submit most unwillingly to a necessity from which they cannot extricate themselves all this i thought might be true before i went to the south and often has the charitable supposition checked the condemnation which was indignantly rising to my lips against these murderers of their brethren's peace a little reflection however even without personal observation might have convinced me that this could not be the case if the majority of southerners were satisfied that slavery was contrary to their worldly fortunes slavery would be at an end from that very moment but the fact is and i have not only from observation of my own but from the distinct statement of some of the most intelligent southern men that i have conversed with the only obstacle to immediate abolition throughout the south is the immense value of the human property and to use the words of a very distinguished carolinian who thus ended a long discussion we had on the subject i'll tell you why abolition is impossible because every healthy negro can fetch a thousand dollars in the charleston market at this moment and this opinion you see tallies perfectly with the testimony of mr Blank. he went on to speak of several of the slaves on this estate as persons quite remarkable for their fidelity and intelligence instancing old molly ned the engineer who has the superintendence of the steam engine in the rice mill and headman frank of whom indeed he wound up the eulogium by saying he had quite the principles of a white man which i thought most equivocal praise but he did not intend it as such as i was complaining to mr Blank of the terribly neglected condition of the dykes which are in some parts so overgrown with gigantic briars that tis really impossible to walk over them and the trench on one hand and the river on the other afford one extremely disagreeable alternatives mr Blank cautioned me to be particularly on my guard not to step on the thorns of the orange tree these indeed are formidable spikes and he assured me were peculiarly poisonous to the flesh some of the most painful and tedious wounds he had ever seen he said were incurred by the negroes running these large green thorns into their feet this led him to speak of the glory and beauty of the orange trees on the island before a certain uncommonly severe winter a few years ago destroyed them all for five miles round the banks grew a double row of noble orange trees as large as our orchard apple trees covered with golden fruit and silver flowers it must have been a most magnificent spectacle and captain Blank too told me in speaking of it that he had brought basil hall here in the season of the trees blossoming and he had said it was as well worth crossing the atlantic to see that as to see the niagara of all these noble trees nothing now remains but the roots which bear witness to their size and some young sprouts shooting up affording some hope that in the course of years the island may wear its bridal garland again one huge stump close to the door is all that remains of an enormous tree that overtopped the house from the upper windows of which oranges have been gathered from off its branches and which one year bore the incredible number of eight thousand five hundred forty two oranges mr Blank assured me of this as a positive fact of which he had at the time made the entry in his journal considering such a crop from a single tree well worthy of record mr Blank was called out this evening to listen to a complaint of overwork from a gang of pregnant women 
I did not stay to listen to the details of their petition, for I am unable to command myself on such occasions, and Mr. Blank seemed positively degraded in my eyes as he stood enforcing upon these women the necessity of their fulfilling their appointed tasks. How honorable he would have appeared to me, begrimed with the sweat and soil of the coarsest manual labor, to what he then seemed setting forth to these wretched ignorant women as a duty their unpaid exacted labor. I turned away in bitter disgust. I hope this sojourn among Mr. Blank's slaves may not lessen my respect for him, but I fear it, for the details of slaveholding are so unmanly, letting alone every other consideration, that I know not how any one, with the spirit of a man, can condescend to them. I have been out again on the river rowing. I find nothing new. Swamps crowned with perfect evergreens are the only land, that's Irish, about here, and, of course, turn which way I will, the natural features of river and shore are the same. I do not weary of these most exquisite watery woods, but you will of my mention of them, I fear. Adieu. End of section 6. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.